Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Road Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Paul Shirley, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen. Each week, we will be releasing sermons and studies delivered directly from the pulpit at our church. Our goal with this podcast from Calvary Road Baptist Church is to make the gospel and sound biblical preaching more available to a wider audience. We hope that these sermons will be a blessing and an encouragement to you each week. As the scripture reads in Psalm 119 and verse 116, Uphold me according unto thy word, that I may live, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Now, let's hear from God's word. Hebrews chapter 10. The book of Hebrews has always been one of my favorite books in the Bible. As a, as a young man, when I first uh, stepped into a role of teaching Sunday school, I was the assistant Sunday school teacher in our teenage class when I was uh, 17 or 18 years old. I stepped into that role just to kind of be there to assist and maybe fill in if the teacher couldn't be there. And uh, he came to me probably when I was a senior in high school and told me he wanted me to start teaching through something and to pick a book, and I picked the book of Hebrews, which, by the way, was a bonehead move for an 18-year-old, I'll just tell you. Hebrews is a wonderful book in that it has some great depth of doctrine that will stretch your understanding. You're probably going to have to go pick up a book or something and read and say, what exactly is all this about the order of Melchizedek and all these other things and stuff, and it's going to really stretch you. But then on the flip side, it's got some very simple straightforward and practical truths that are absolutely necessary for the Christian life. And I just love this book. And here in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, the author has been dealing with some of those great doctrinal truths, talking about the Lord Jesus and how that He is our high priest over these previous chapters. talks about the, the perfect tabernacle and how He's the mediator of the New Testament, all those things. And you get into chapter 10 and he's dealing with a lot of that and he's bringing it down sort of to a a close on that topic, and he comes into verse number 19, and he begins to give some simple and straightforward encouragement and exhortation, if you will, to those who are reading. We're going to read here in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19, and we'll ask the Lord to help us with a message this morning. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 19, the Bible says, "...having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus..." By a new and living way which He hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say His flesh, His flesh being the veil, uh, verse 21, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our, heart, and our bodies excuse me, washed with pure water. Let us hold fast, hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering for He is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Let's pray. Our Father, Lord, we ask You this morning, if You would, God, that You'd please help us in this hour. Lord, we've come together in Your name today, God, to worship You, God, to to hear from you today. And God, I pray now if you would, that you'd help me, God, to deliver these words uh, from the Word of God as you've delivered them to my heart. Lord, help me to speak clearly. Uh, Help me, God, Lord, not to say anything that ought not to be said. And fill me, Lord, please, with your Spirit. God, if there's anything in me that would be a hindrance, Lord, to the Holy Ghost having His perfect work through your Word this morning, I pray that you'd 
Forgive me of that. Remove it from me. Help me, God, Lord, to just be an empty and willing vessel for Your Word and Your Spirit today. God, we need You in this hour. We pray, speak to us. We love You and we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, this book is full of many, many truths and all of them are powerful, powerful truths and some wonderful verses, some wonderful things. Some we quote often, such as, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. Amen. We often reference that verse. And, and Hebrews chapter 11, you have the hall of faith, as it is called, as the Lord uh, had the writer go through the Old Testament and speak of those who had been faithful and had died not receiving the promise. You, hear, you learn a lot about eternal security and different things throughout the book of Hebrews. But here in this, in this passage, in these verses, the author takes a moment and he's going to give some very simple, right where you live, in your lap, practical instruction. He talks about how that the Lord Jesus is our great high priest, and he mentions that in verse number, uh, verse number 21, and how that the Lord has made a new and living way, he calls it for us, to come to Him. And that new and living way is salvation. Amen. That we have now been given a path to God and a path to heaven through the salvation of the soul which had never before existed. Amen. Never before had there been anything like this. And there in verse number 22, he says this, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. And, and he begins one of three phrases that he gives uh, concerning us. And when he says us, he's talking about himself and those of us who are saved. Amen. Now, uh, for the sake of, of, in case you're wondering, I personally believe the book of Hebrews was written by the Apostle Paul. We don't know that 100% for sure. There is a lot of debate about who it was that wrote it. I could tell you why I think it was the Apostle Paul. But at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter uh, if you're wondering who wrote the book of Hebrews, you can go read the beginning in chapter 1, verse number 1, and in each of the epistles it'll say who wrote it. Hebrews, the first word is God, who at sundry times and in divers manners. So if you want to know who wrote the book of Hebrews, it was God. But the author is putting himself <clears throat> in a camp with a certain group of people, in a group. And he says, let us. And he's going to say that three times, and he's going to give three different exhortations. The first one, he says, let us, he says, we are together in our faith. He's talking about some ways that we are together with him. We're together in our faith in verse 22 as a way of introduction. He says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. He's talking about being saved. Amen. Let me say this, without this crucial step, each successive attempt at living righteously will only always result in failure and disappointment. Let me say that again. <clears throat> if you have not taken with the author, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. That is the first step, the first exhortation that he is giving that we should do together. Let us, right? As someone might say, let us go to a restaurant and have some lunch, or let us get together and play a game, or whatever it may be. He's saying, let us... Come to God in full assurance of faith and be saved. Amen. If you have not done that, stop trying to live righteously. It is impossible for someone who is wholly unrighteous to live a righteous lifestyle. The reason that some people cannot live right, they cannot get right with God, they cannot get their life right, 
is because they're living in darkness. And they have never come to the Lord in the full assurance of faith, having their hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. They're the same as they've always been, and they have never been changed into a new creature. Amen. And if you've never been changed into a new creature, you will always end your attempts at righteousness with failure and disappointment. Amen. He says, we're together, let us come together in our faith. And he says this, we're together, let us come together in our firmness. In verse number 23 where he says this, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. He's talking about holding fast. And that word hold fast means to hold firmly in your memory, in your mind's eye, and to keep a secure and firm possession of something. Now, some might say, well, is he saying that we have to hold on to our salvation or we'll lose it? No, that's why he put a parenthetical statement in there. For he is faithful that promised. Because he is faithful, he'll keep our salvation. But we must keep our faith in our minds. And we must hold fast to it with our hands. Because there have been some who have been saved who have then let go of their faith. Would you say amen? They're not here today. <clears throat> there are some who have not darkened the doors of a church in years or, or months because they are letting their faith slip through their hands. Where before they would have said they believed the whole counsel of God, now they have gone into the far country. And they have allowed their faith, their faith rather to slip from their hands. And they are no longer holding fast without wavering. Amen. He is encouraging us together to stay together firmly in our faith and to stick with God. Amen? Can you say amen? Uh, that you need to stick with God. Amen? You don't need to listen to the ideology of the world, and you don't need to listen to whatever new modern movement that blows through like a wind. You need to stick with God and stick with God's Word and stay true to the faith. Amen? Then he says we're together in our faith and our firmness, and we're together in our furtherance. And this is where I want to focus today. In verse number 24, he says this, Let us, it's the third time he says, let us, he says, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. In the first two, although we are to be together in this, he's saying, let's all do this, <clears throat> they are individual actions. Only you can put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus and be saved. I can't do it for you. If I could, there's plenty of folk I would. Amen. Only you can hold firm to your profession. Only you can stay faithful to God. I can't make you stay faithful to God. I, I can't make you stay faithful to church. I can't make you stay true to the Word of God. Only you can do that individually. It is something that I must do. I must put my faith in Christ and I must not let go of my faith. But the third statement becomes, rather than an individual action, it is an interactive action. It is how you affect others. This morning, the question I want to ask you, and this is the message, and we'll look at a couple things here, <clears throat> is what effect do you have on the others around you? Uh, we can even narrow it down a little bit further if you'd like. We can kind of hone it in because the truth is some of us interact with a whole lot of people on a daily basis. So let's just narrow it in and let's say what effect do you have on the brethren, on your church? Because in verse 24, us is those who have come to the Lord in faith and are holding fast to their profession. Us 
is God's children. If you have not done the first let us and come to the Lord in faith, then you cannot hold fast a profession you don't have and you cannot provoke others to love and good works because God is love and if you don't have God, you do not know love. That's scriptural. So let's consider one another, the author says, to provoke one another into love and to good works. That word provoke is often a word that is used in a negative sense, right? When my son lets out a shriek from across the room and I go into the room and I say, what happened? And he'll say, sissy, and he'll point at her and I'll say, Peyton, what happened? And she'll say, I hit him. I'll say, well, why did you hit him? Father, he provoked me. Now, she may not say it exactly like that, but she'll say, he hit me first. He threw a tractor and hit me in the face. You know, whatever it may have been, right? They made, the devil made me do it. I was provoked. To provoke is to stir up in someone, to give a rise from them, to get a reaction, to get an emotion, typically a strong one, and in our modern vernacular, a lot of times an unwelcome one, right? Like a tractor to the face. You didn't want that, but I was provoked. But when we look at this verse, obviously the connotation is not negative, it is positive. And the author and God is telling us that as Christians, we ought to have such an effect on others that we are provoking them to the furtherance of the gospel, to the furtherance of their walk with God and their walk with Christ, that it should bring into mind the question of the effect that we are having on one another within the church. Now, in 2021, we talked a lot about unity. Amen. We we dealt a lot with a lot of messages on unity, and hopefully we have gotten a firm foundation of the vast importance, and not just importance, but absolute necessity that God's people are in unity. Amen? In fact, where there is not unity and there is not peace, God's work gets brought to a halt. And we know that from studying God's Word and the great importance of unity. But, but even beyond that, considering one another... Here in this passage, the author is giving us a number, he's giving us some things to think about. That when we think about one another, we should be thinking, and now we said consider one another, that means consider, think about it. Think about one another and think about how you might affect the people around you. Let me give you a couple examples as I, as I begin to think on this thought throughout the Bible. <clears throat> there are many Let's just narrow it even to almost, we can even just take the New Testament. There are, there are so many instances of the Lord Jesus and His apostles and those writing the New Testament to us of examples and directions and commandments and instruction of how that God's people should treat one another. Amen? And not just how we should treat one another, but how we should be affecting one another. We could just take this verse and nothing else, and we're going to look at a couple more things quickly, but just this verse tells us that when we think on the brethren, let's narrow that down. The truth is there's people in other churches near us and far away from us whom we know who are saved, and they are our brothers and sisters in Christ as well. You've got family members, no doubt, maybe in other churches or maybe in other states or whatever who are saved and friends, and you know them, and they're your brethren as well. But let's narrow it down to even just... Calvary Road Baptist Church, because that's where we're at this morning, isn't it? We're, we're a part of, most of you here are a, a member and a part of 
Calvary Road Baptist Church, and this is your church, and these are your people. Like it or lump it. Amen. These are your people. And that includes me. Amen. We are a church family. That's what we like to call it, isn't it? A church family. A local assembly of God's people, a body of believers. There are some things that scripturally we are commanded to do. Let's look at the first one. Let me ask you these questions. Three questions I got for you. First one, are we exhorting one another? If you continue reading there as we did at the beginning in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 tells us to provoke uh, one another into love and good works. And then verse 25 says this, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now I want to point this out to you. If you look at verses 22, 23, 24, and 25, you'll notice that verse 22 ends in a period which denotes the end of a thought. Amen. And then you'll note that verse 23 ends with a semicolon. And a semicolon can be used in place of a period. It means the thought is continuing, but this is a soft ending to what I just said. But if you look at verse number 24, it ends in a colon. What that means is the next part is crucial to understanding what I just said. Which means verse 25 is crucial to verse 24. Can you see that? Verse 24 says we should consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. And verse 25 says not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. So that tells us in order for us to consider one another and to provoke one another into love and good works, we've got to come together. Amen. That's just real simple logic, isn't it? You cannot affect the people with whom you are not interacting. Amen. You come together at church and we get together and we sing together and we pray together and there's preaching that goes on and we worship the Lord together and sometimes we'll have a meal over here and we'll sit down and we'll eat together and we'll, we'll talk together throughout the week. Many of us might text or call or we might go to visit one another in a different place or, or whatever it may be that we as a church family, as God's people, we should be around each other and you're going to love this, we should want to be around each other. Amen. Now, some people are different. Some people would rather stay locked in a dark room by themselves most of the day. Amen. I won't call any names, Brett, but some people are that way. And, and that's your personality, and that's, that's fine. Everybody, some are extroverted, some are introverted, some would rather you never look at them, and some want to be the center of attention. God made us who we are and how we are. But none of us are excluded from assembling together. In order for you to have the effect that God wants you to have on your brothers and sisters, you've got to be there. Amen. You've got to be in the mix, if you will. And that is what it means to come together, not forsake the assembling, but to be more and more around God's people and less and less around worldly people. Amen. That's the implication of the verse. Let's talk about this word exhorting. That word exhort, it means to incite by words or advice, to animate or urge by arguments to a good deed or any laudable conduct or course of action. First, we exhort by advocating. So what does that mean? It means that we advocate for the good that we see in our brethren. When you see someone doing that which is good, you encourage them to continue doing that. Amen. On Sunday morning when we go upstairs for the teen class and we start our class, the first thing we do is I go through the attendance list and they get a check and a circle if they have memorized their verse for their memory verse and if they have brought their Bible. 
And if they do that enough, we'll give them a reward. Do you know why? Because we want to encourage them and exhort them to keep doing good. Amen. That we're advocating for the good things that they're doing. That they should take their Bible with them to church. Amen. You know you ought to take your Bible to church. Amen. Carry it with you. You ought to read it. You ought to pray. You ought to... And Brother Tim has started this initiative back here with these crosses on the wall that when someone fulfills a goal in their life, a spiritual goal to invite someone to church or give out a track or read their Bible every day, whatever it may be, that they get a cross up on the wall. And it's not to glorify them. It's to encourage them, to exhort them, to do those things that are good. Amen. 1 Thessalonians 4.1, Paul said this, Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. Here's what Paul said. The things we've taught you that are right, we will want it to abound more and more in you. We want you to do more good. Amen. Not less. More. I want you to give out more tracts. I want you to read your Bible more. I want you to pray more. I want you to uh, be a Christian at work more. Be to tell people about the Lord more and be a better person more and more. To abound in good works. Amen. Somebody makes a goal in a basketball game and everybody in the county will clap them on the back. But when someone does something for God, we ought to go above and beyond and encourage them and let them know God wants you to do that. We want you to keep doing that. We love you. We appreciate that. Amen. Now, we do not serve God so that people will clap us on the back and tell us what a good job you did. But as brethren, we are commanded to exhort one another to good works. And when you see someone at church, tell them, I'm glad you're here. It's good to see you here. Maybe they've been sick or maybe they've been away and they come back in. Make sure you go to them and welcome them and let them know. Amen. We're glad that you're here. If you've got to chase them out the back door, like which I've had to do, to make sure I get to them before they can get out of here because sometimes they're in a hurry or whatever it may be, just, just tell them, hey, I'm glad you're here. It, and Brother Tim often says it costs little to encourage somebody, right? Now some, it costs a little more than others because some of us are awkward and weird like me. But we still need to encourage one another, I heard that amen, to do good works. We need to encourage one another. Can you say amen? The question is, <clears throat> are we exhorting one another are we exhorting one another by advocating for the good that they're doing, that they would continue doing well? Are we exhorting one another by admonishing? And that's a little bit different. <clears throat> if you go and you read up on that word exhort, and you go to the Webster's 1828 dictionary, you look it up, it means, it means to incite by words or advice, to animate, urge by arguments, or, or to a good deed, to any laudable conduct. But it also means this, it means to advise to warn, to caution. You might also exhort someone to not do something. Can I recommend that you don't? Right? The other day we were at a Memorial Day cookout. Some of my family, my immediate family and, and other close ones were there. We were at my cousin Taylor and Grace's. They've got a big swimming pool and all the kids were in the pool swimming and having fun. And Some of the guys from my dad's church, a couple of them were there and they went to my brother and said, I'll give you $50, some of you are thinking 50 bucks, to throw your dad over into that swimming pool. And he's like, 50 bucks? And I'm like, I don't want, I wa I'm a pilot, I wash my hands of this. I want no part of this. <clears throat> Before you knew it, it became $150. People are like, I'll give five, I'll give 10. Yeah, a bunch of those people go to my dad's church, he's their pastor, so they're a real blessing to him. That's what I'm trying to say. 
And uh, I'm like, I'm leaving. I want no part of this. And I thought, Caleb is just dumb enough to do it. And yes, I'm, I will gladly say that to his face if he's standing right here. But I thought, eh, I don't know. I don't know if he wants to you know, go to the hospital tonight or whatever. So <clears throat> we were all sitting there, and as the day drove on, it was getting kind of late, and we were about to leave, and suddenly I heard somebody scream. And I look over, and Dad and Caleb are in a wrestle. And y'all have seen my brother. He's 6'7". His arm span is, you know, the size of a, a, a commercial airplane or whatever. And he had a hold of my dad, who is not a large guy. I don't say that to his chagrin, but he's just not a huge guy. Uh, he got a hold of him. and He was fighting, but Caleb got him without him knowing. And before you know it, there was a splash, and Caleb was standing on the side laughing, and Dad was in the swimming pool. I would exhort you... Don't do that to Tim Shirley. He walked out. He did that head down, shoulders hunched, march forward like he does, like I've seen a million times. He climbed his self up out of the pool and he put his hands on my brother in a physical way. There were punches thrown around the middle section, a lot of them, and Caleb laughing and also yelling out in pain. And also, there'll probably be a lot of suffering to come. There's probably things planned, you know, for the future, to, to suffering, because actions have consequences. Now, that's, that's not something maybe everybody likes to believe, but it's true. And sometimes, as a Christian, when you see a brother or a sister going in a direction that you know is going to hurt them, it is your responsibility to warn them. We, I don't know how many times I mentioned in Sunday school this morning the example of a father of me talking to my son, telling him, don't go lick the electrical outlets. Right? So have you, has your son licked the electrical outlets? No, but I wouldn't put it past him. He'd definitely stick a finger in there. I have seen him trying to put things in there, you know, toys or whatever, and it's, no, you got to put, put those little covers. And Why do we do that? It's not because we like to control people. It's not because I want to have little, little toy soldiers that do everything I tell them to do and have no personality of their own. It's because it's dangerous. And I don't know if y'all know this or not, but there's nothing more dangerous than sin. Nothing. Sin is the most dangerous thing that there is. Sin is addictive. It's a captive, the old song says. It will take you... It'll take you places you never wanted to go. It'll keep you longer than you wanted to stay. It will destroy you. In fact, the Bible tells me that the wages of sin is death. That is where sin will take you. And so when I see someone marching in the direction of sin, and, I, and they are my brother, and I love them, and, and I want what's best for them, then it is my responsibility to admonish them. And that word admonish means to gently reprove, caution, or advise them. Hey... That thing you're doing, it's going to hurt you. I don't want to see you get hurt. Amen. I might sit my son down or Peyton and say, don't go over there. We are talking the other day, there was a big old black snake in the yard at my parents' house out in the, out in the road. We, ran, we saw it in the road and she was talking about that big snake. And She was like, was that a poisonous snake? We said, no, and we talked a little bit. I said, Peyton, don't matter what snake it is, if you ever see one, don't ever pick it up or go to it. Because you don't know it could be poisonous and one bite could really hurt you or kill you. Now, what that is, is it is an admonishment. Don't go over there. Don't do that. It can hurt you. 
The Bible tells us in Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. The Bible tells us quite plainly that psalms and hymns are actually designed to admonish us, to warn us of things. Like We, we sing songs about with that, don't we? Be careful, little hands, what you do, eyes, what you see, mouth, what you say. For the Father up above, He is looking down in love. We sing those songs to teach our kids, be careful what you do. You go to the book of of Psalms, which is a book of songs. And the very first psalm in all the Bible is about an admonishment for those who are wicked and ungodly and those who are sinners and those who are scornful versus an encouragement to those who love God's Word. The Bible tells us in Psalm chapter 1 that if you love God's Word, you're like a tree planted by the rivers of water. But if you are a sinner who hates God's Word and lives an ungodly lifestyle, you're like the chaff which the wind driveth away. That one is looking forward to a life of joy and peace, and the other is looking for a life of death and destruction. It's an admonishment. And the same is in our responsibility. Now, it is not my job to police God's people. Did you know that? That's the Holy Ghost's job. But I can't tell you how many times in my life, as a young man especially, where I was somewhere and I said something I shouldn't have said or acted a way I shouldn't have acted or or did something I shouldn't have done and one of my brothers in Christ, one of my friends who were saved said, hey man, you can't be doing that. Have you ever had someone who loves you tell you, don't do that? Have you? Have you ever had someone who loves you like a parent or a brother or sister in Christ or a pastor or a or a Sunday school teacher, or someone with a spiritual influence in your life tell you, man, I'm worried about you. Don't go that direction. The things you're doing, the things you're saying, I'm concerned. The way you're you're acting, the way you're dressing, the things you're doing, it makes me worried about you. You ever had anybody tell you that? You ever got mad at them for it? Well, let's be honest. Weren't they usually right? When someone comes to you and their admonishment comes from this, They're always right. Can you acknowledge that? Sometimes God will put people in our paths, good people, saved people, who are trying to do right, but who are just struggling. God will put them in your path, hoping that you will be a light to them. Guess what? Sometimes I don't want that. Sometimes I reject that. But that's that's not their fault, that's my fault. You say, well, they're not going to take it well from me. Well, that's why the word admonish is used. It's the gentle. They don't want you to go up and smack them on the back of the head. Hey, dummy, don't do that. Which, you know, some of us have done. They want you to say, hey, I'm worried about you. I love you. What was our text? Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. That's our job. Not to police But when we see someone going into a dangerous place to warn them, be careful. Be careful about about that girl you've been talking to. Be careful about that boy you've been talking to. Be careful about those ones you've been hanging around with. Be careful about that stuff you've been doing because the Bible says that that is a path to destruction and I'm worried about you. Amen. To help one another. Are you exhorting one another? Secondly, are we edifying one another? We've talked a lot about that word edifying. 1 Thessalonians 5.8 says this, Let us who are of the day be sober. That's the saved people. You understand that? 
putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet of uh, and for an helmet the hope of salvation for God hath not appointed us to wrath but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us that whether we wake or sleep we should live together with him wherefore comfort yourselves together and edify one another even as also ye do Paul said in Romans 14:9 let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another that word edify we know it means to build up, as in the construction of a house or a building from its foundation onward. And if you look in that word and you look into the, the Thay's Greek Dictionary and you, you look at that word a little further, uh, it is used to promote in a spiritual and figurative sense. It means to promote growth in Christian wisdom, affection, grace, virtue, holiness, and blessedness. Uh, simply put, it is to build someone up in the Spirit. Amen. It is to strengthen them in God and to help them be a better Christian, and to scotch them up. I, I don't know how many times I, as a young man, as a young preacher, call up a friend and say, hey, let's go to this meeting over here where they're having, this preacher's going to be. Let's, let's go, and we'll hear them preach. And hey, why don't we go to Bible school together? Or why don't we go to this meeting? Or why don't we go to that youth meeting? Or why don't we get together and have a Bible study and, and try, to, try to edify some of those around me who I felt were, were weak and were struggling, having a hard time, to try and strengthen them in the Lord, to build them up. Are you edifying Do you build up others? Do you build up your husband, your wife, your children, your friends, your family, your church family? Do you help and build up the spirituality of those around you? Are you building them up? Building them up in love, in peace, in wisdom, in knowledge, in joy, 2 Corinthians 13, 7 says this, Now I pray to God that you do no evil, not that we should appear approved, but that you should do that which is honest, though we be as reprobates. For we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. This is Paul talking to a church that had previously been riddled with sin. For we are glad when we are weak and ye are strong, and this also we wish, even your perfection. That is your spiritual maturity. Here's what he's saying. He said, even if we quit, if we fall out, my prayer is that you won't. My prayer is that we can build you up enough that you can be self-sustained with you and God and you don't need me to serve God. Amen. That next verse says this, Therefore I write these things, being absent, lest being present I should use sharpness, according to the power which the Lord hath given me to edification and not to destruction. You look at those words there, that word for edification, you look at that Greek word there for edification, and it's the Greek word uh, oikodone, which is to say construct, build up. And then you look at the word for destruction, and it is its antonym. It's the total opposite. Rather than to build up, it is to tear down and demolish. So let me ask you this. Concerning, are we edifying one another? Here is there's a simple way to see it. Are we building others up for the cause of Christ? Or are we tearing others down? Here's what Paul said. I want to show you something. If you look in that verse, he said this. He said, while I'm away from you, I'm writing these things to you now. And the reason, he said, is because, part of the reason he's writing them now, he said, I'm afraid that when I come there and I'm present, I would use sharpness. You know what that means? If I'm standing there looking at you right now, I might not be able to hold back being rough with my language calling you names, saying, what is wrong with you, right? He said, but God is helping me 
And He's given me, He said, the power which the Lord hath given me to edification. That God doesn't want me to tear you down with sharp words. Right now, what He wants is for me to edify you. Now you go read 1 Corinthians. He used some sharp words. And sometimes there's a need for sharp words. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about edifying. Someone who only ever has anything negative and sharp to say is failing in edification. God help us if we would rather tear people down behind closed doors than to build them up face to face. God help us. Let me put it you like this. We are all we've got. Who? God's people. I don't know if you know this or not. Your job does not care about you. Now, I'm not saying there's not good people there who do care about you. But at the end of the day, it's just business. You know what they say? It's just business. I hear a lot of folks using that as an excuse to be unchristian, uncaring, and unloving in the workplace. Well, it's a dog-eat-dog world out there. Not in here. We're sheep, not dogs. We're sheep under a shepherd. That's what we are. And God is our shepherd. The Lord Jesus is our good shepherd. And this is not a dog-eat-dog environment. We're not all just trying to get ahead in here. We are in this together. Amen? I know our governor liked to say that in 2020, and that was uh, to mix results, but I can tell you one thing for sure. Right here in this place, we have to be in this together. And we are the only ones we've got. That world out there can turn on you on a dime, and they are done with you. But in here, it can't be like that. We must be of the business of building one another up. Loving one another. Kind words. Amen. And when you've got to be rough and you've got to be direct, admonishment is usually the way to go. You can be direct and warn someone and correct someone without being sharp and ripping them apart 90% of the time. Sometimes it takes a firm hand and a sharp hand and you've got to do that, but not every time. It's not your job to call them up and say, what's wrong with you? It's your job to say, hey, I love you. Let me help you. Hey, why don't you go with me to this meeting? Why don't you come to church with me? Why don't we... Why don't we go pray together? Why don't we have Bible study together? Help one another. Build one another up. Because guess what? Nobody else is going to do it. But we must. We must edify and build up one another. We cannot be tearing one another down. Amen? I'll give you the last one. We'll be done this morning. Are we exhorting one another? Are we edifying one another? Are we building one another up in love and peace and joy and wisdom to edification and not to tearing down, not to destruction? Which effect are you having on your church? Finally, are we enhancing one another? Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17, a commonly referenced verse says this, Iron sharpeneth iron. So a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. You see, the composition of the iron in this metaphor that we are given, or rather, I guess it would be a simile since it uses that word, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. The man is the iron. You see that? And it is iron sharpening what? 
Iron sharpeneth iron. So they're the same. You see that? They're both iron. They're both man. They're both mind, body, soul, spirit. One is not an angel of light and one some lowly human. We are, they are on equal standing and they are iron compared and sharpened with iron. The composition is this, that this man and his friend, who he is called in the verse, are both human beings. They are not inherently different from one another in their physical makeup. and They both have feelings, failures, and personalities, which can really get in the mix. Then we see the coarseness of the iron. There is clearly something in the passage that has become coarse. It is unrefined, it is rough, and it needs to be sharpened. Some of y'all I know, I'm sure if I were to ask you, you got a pocket knife in your pocket, or one you might have on your hip. I have been carrying this case knife my parents got me sometime forever ago here recently. And over time, as I use this knife to cut this and cut that and, and to do this and to do that, over time it will become more coarse and sharpened, or less sharp. It will become dull and coarse and, and, and rough. And, and I can take that blade, that metal, and I can take it and I can sharpen it. And to do that, I've got to have something that is strong enough to affect the iron. Iron is strong enough to affect iron. Y'all have seen chef's knives, and they've got those blocks, and they pull them out. They'll pull out a big blade, and then they'll pull out an iron or steel rod. It's got little ribs. And they'll seen that? Iron sharpeneth iron. And the makeup of it is that they're, the, they're very similar in makeup, and the coarseness is that there's something that needs to be affected and something that needs to be changed, needs to be enhanced. The example given in Proverbs 21 is a positive example. When something is sharpened, it's made better. Can you agree? God's people coming together, they come in contact. I told you that, didn't I? How that if we're going to affect one another, we've got to assemble together. For iron, to sharpen iron, there has to be contact. There has to be fellowship. There has to be communication. There has to be conversation. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, it says this, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Communications affect you. Contact and conversation and fellowship and relationships, they affect you. Did you know that? Even when you don't want them to. You ever left somewhere thinking... I think so-and-so is mad at me. I had that happen the other day. I was somewhere and someone had, I'd said something to somebody and the way they kind of reacted, I thought, have I done something to offend them? And I kind of went away from that and I thought about it and I was like, well, Lord, if I have, you know, uh, hopefully it'll come, they'll say something to me and we can work it out. Or, but I, I don't want to assume that and be like, hey, you mad at me? You know, I don't want to do that. I'll just kind of give it some time and, it kind of bothered me in my mind, and I went to them, and I kind of just put myself in their way, and I talked to them a little more, and eventually I, think I got the feeling, no, they're not mad at me, they're just kind of having a bad day. And things kind of leveled out, and then we talked, and everything was good. Because that happens. Because when you get around people, you're going to have contact. Sometimes those contacts will become conflicts. You know the sound it makes when you rub that steel rod against that knife? It's not really a pleasant noise. What it is, it's the sound of something grinding against something else. But the outcome is positive. 
We should enhance one another. The more time we spend around one another, the stronger our relationships should become, and we should affect one another positively for the Lord. Can I admit to you today, there's been times in my life where I have spent time around people who were Christians, who went to church, and me being around them made me a worse Christian? Is there anybody this morning that could testify to that? That there's people in your life that if you get around them, they hurt your spirit, not help it? That should never be you. Can you say amen? There's certain people, when you get around them, they gossip and talk about folks. There's certain people, when you get around them, they're always hateful and rude and grumpy. They've got this going on or they got that going on and they just, they're just not pleasant to be around. When you get around them, you feel like you need to go somewhere and pray. Maybe they talk a way they shouldn't or maybe they listen to music that's not edifying. Maybe they watch things they shouldn't. You get around them and, you, and you're like, well, I, I don't want to do this. I don't do this stuff at home. Uh, you know, I'm going to get around. I, I don't want to offend them. And, and being around those people actually hurt you spiritually. Well, that's because when you have contact, there is an effect. Your communication, your conversations, your contact with them, it has an effect on you. You do know. You can take that knife. I can take that knife right there. I can go out and into the parking lot and I can rub it against a concrete wall and you know what it ain't going to do? It ain't going to make it better. It's going to grit it up. Do it the wrong way. We're supposed to enhance one another. We're supposed to make each other better. And my question to you is very simple this morning. What effect are you having on others in your church do you have an exhorting effect do you have an edifying presence that you help others and you make other people you ever been around somebody that just made you want to be a better christian you ever been around somebody and just being around them you're like man they've got just a good spirit you know they talk about the lord and they they've always got something good to say i want to be that way I, i fail to be that way a lot of times I want to be that way. And we are all we've got. Dr. Phil's not going to help you. Okay? The edification, the exhortation, the enhancement that we need, this is where we're supposed to get it. Not from the world, from God's people. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works? That's the question I'm presenting to you today. There's a lot more that could be said, and maybe we'll look at some more of these others that the Lord kind of showed me over, over some time, perhaps we will, but suffice it to say this, we are the church of the living God. We are. We have been saved, sanctified, and the Bible says, set apart. We are to come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. And a lot of that is this, the more time you spend out there, the more you'll look, sound, act, and smell like them. The more time you spend in here, the more time you should look, smell, and act like God's people. That is just the way it is. Y'all heard the old adage, you'll be more like your friends than your fathers? Because you spend a lot more time with your friends. 
The more time you spend around them, the more you'll talk like them, the more you'll take on their ways and take on their, their actions. And as we've observed these texts, we should understand that God's people are intended to have a positive, growing spiritual effect on others. What effect are you having on your church? Let's stand. Thank you again for listening to the Calvary Road Baptist Church podcast. If you would like to learn more about our church in Shepherdsville, Kentucky, you can find the link to our website in the show notes to www.calvaryroadbaptistchurch.com. We're so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to today's sermon, and we hope that the Lord will use it to edify you in the faith. If you'd like to help spread the word about this podcast, you can do so by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts or by telling a friend. Thank you again, and have a blessed day in the Lord. Thank you.